Ah, so we are in a series called Running on Empty. Running on Empty. I know we've all been there, right? We've all run on empty before, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, maybe even spiritual. Yet, you know, Jesus said this. You've read this and heard this, right? I have come to give life and life more abundantly. But we have encountered running on empty, so kind of the question is, how do we resolve this somewhat discrepancy, right? The one who gives abundant life, and yet we find ourselves at times on empty. Well, if you read the scriptures and study the scriptures, you find that there are certain rhythms in scripture that if we maintain those rhythms, then our Heavenly Father refreshes us through His indwelling Holy Spirit. And so what we have done in this series is we have picked out five specific rhythms, and each week we're going through them to rediscover them with the goal. Here's the goal, that we can recognize the Father's invitation to us to reconnect with the Holy Spirit deeper down than maybe what we're used to connecting with, deeper down in, in our core, and in that, as we develop that consistently, we allow for times of refreshing to come over us, and we can avoid running on empty, or at least minimize it. So, that is where we're going in the series. This is week three. We have covered so far... Thankful, gosh, and graceful, and today is worshipful, worshipful, full of worship, full of thanks, full of grace, full of worship. Now, where we need to go this morning to get into the meat of the message that I think the Father has for us so that we can recognize His invitation is that we need to lay a foundation of understanding. And so I'm going to, we're going to go do that first, and it's, it's going to be progressive. We're going to walk through some scriptures, but the goal is to get an understanding of, uh, establish an understanding so that when we go into the meat, we'll be more readily able to recognize the Father's invitation. So I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the first book. And if you have a Bible, I ask you, if you're willing, I ask you to open that up and join with me in that. If you have a Bible app, open that up. We'll have it on the screen. But I think it's always healthy to get the scriptures before our eyes. So, Genesis chapter 1, and we are going to look at verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. God said, let's make man, humans, in our image, according to our likeness. Now, in the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, way back, the most common word in Hebrew for God is the word El, E-L, El. 
You ever heard of El Shaddai? That means God Almighty. And if you've read Old Testament, maybe you've read about the town of Bethel or Bethel, meaning house of God. So this word El, it's a singular word for God, but that is not the word used in this verse. This word in Hebrew is Elohim, which is plural. So Elohim said, let us, plural, make man in our plural image, according to our plural likeness. Okay? We'll visit that as we progress. Now, let's look at the words image and likeness. They're two different Hebrew words, but they both mean the same thing. That is, they mean resemblance, not a replica or an exact copy. Not that, and resemblance. So, image is the word resemblance from the concept of a shadow. So, you know what a shadow is, right? Some object is casting the shadow, and you can look at the shadow and get an idea of the object that is casting it. So if I put up a hammer in the sun, and you see, you go, well, that's a hammer. Well, of course, that's not the hammer. This is the hammer. That's a shadow of the hammer, right? Or a person's body, and you can kind of make out the shape of the person by looking at the shadow. That's what this is talking about, image. It's a resemblance, not a copy, not an exact copy. It's a resemblance of that which is casting it, the actual source. And then likeness is very similar. It means resemblance, but from the concept of a shape. So, for example, let's say you have an artist that draws or paints a house, okay? And you say, oh, well, that's a house in the picture. Well, it, of course, it's a resemblance of a real house. It's not a house itself, but it is in the shape of a house. And so that's what this is talking about. So then... Elohim, plural, said, let us make man in our resemblance, according to our resemblance. Okay. One of the most important verses to a Jew in the Old Testament is found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. The word one, you know what it means? One. <laughs> That's what it means. The numeral one, the number one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it is this truth, this revelation that was given to them to say, He's not like the gods of the other nations. Israel, your God is numerically one. And it, that truth separated Israel from all the other nations around it because they all believed in multiple gods. But the revelation coming through this verse and what Moses at the time was saying is our God is one. So 
Elohim is a single being. He is numerically one. One. The God of heaven and earth is what the revelation came to the Israelites. Not like all the other nations. He's one. And you, having been created in the image of Him, is a single being. We have a lot of human beings in this room made in the image of God. Now, when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament is always more revelatory than the old. The New Testament kind of pulls back the curtain and gives us more revelation into God, reality, what's going on. And there is a truth that is presented in the New Testament about God, El, Elohim, that He is a single being existing in the form of three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perhaps the most, I think, one of the most clear verses communicating this is found in Matthew 28, verse 19. There she goes. Now, just as Jesus, after his resurrection, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You notice it doesn't say names. It says name, singular. Yet, it attributes the name to what we know as three persons. Our early church fathers, our early church leaders codified this in what is called the Nicene Creed. You ever heard of that? It goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through Him, all things were made. We believe in one Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, together with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. And so our early leaders in the church took the revelation through the Old and New Covenants and codified this into the reality that Elohim is one being, but existing in the form of Father, Son, Spirit. 
He's not three distinct individual beings that come together and form some kind of unified council. And we call that council God. It's not that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Okay, you with me? Now, have you ever noticed Alan's closing prayer that he, he prays at the end of each service? It comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it goes like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You are spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit being with a soul dwelling in a physical body. It's the reality of you in a physical body that puts you in this physical realm. I'm in a body. You're in a body. There are physical objects. Now, when the human body is unable to sustain itself and no longer can function, we call that death. But it's really separation. Because the person in the body, spirit and soul, come out of the body and continue to exist. We bury the body that is no longer functional or cremated. But the person still exists, albeit not in a body. You know what's amazing? Is that the New Testament reveals that our Father is going to resurrect our body and we are going to go back in it and forever we will be like Him. One being existing in three parts made in the image of Him in His likeness for eternity. Isn't that amazing? Fascinating. I love the scriptures because it's a book of revelation. And it tells us things that otherwise we would have no idea they exist. You ever played the game where you say something and it goes around and by the time it comes out it's like perverted and we're like, whoa, that's not what I said in the beginning, right? You ever play that game? I mean, by the time it comes out on the other end, it's, it's, it's half mixed with distortions and it's not really what started. Could you imagine if we had did not have the scripture to tell us things, something external to ourselves. So God has revealed, I made you in my image. I am three in one. And Elohim, plural, said in the beginning, let's make a new race of beings and let's make them resemble us. And so that is exactly what you are. You are a single being made in his image in three. Now, that 
is the foundational understanding that we needed to get to to dive into the meat of what I think the Father is going to do and extend his invitation to us. So, I'm going to go over to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And while you're turning, I'm going to get a sip of water. Now, Jesus and his band of travelers, they're in the district of Judea. Roman Empire, and they split up the areas into districts. And the Holy Spirit reveals to Jesus to go north into the district of Samaria. So he obeys, and the whole band travels into Samaria. And they come to a city called Sychar. That's not, okay, either way, that's good. I'm just giving a, a preamble to it. But, um, so they go into the city, they, they approach the city, and outside the city is a well out in the fields, okay? And they, they go to the well, and then Jesus sends his entire band into the city to go buy food. And he's left alone, and he waits. And eventually, off in the distance, coming out of the city, walking along the trail in the fields toward the well, is this person. It's a woman. It's about 12 noon, and she's carrying her water jars and her bucket. And she gets up to the well, and she starts preparing her, her stuff, her bucket, and her jars. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And she turns to him and says, what are you a Jew asking of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And she said this because the Jews despised the Samaritans. Because in the Old Testament, after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel was split into two parts. There was the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And Eventually, the empire of Assyria, right? You probably learned that in your world history in high school. Assyria conquered the northern kingdom, never conquered the southern kingdom. And at that moment, the northern kingdom ceased to exist. The people were dispersed, and the remaining northern kingdom Jews intermarried with the Gentile folks and became like a mixed breed. Contrary to the law of Moses, which forbade that. Unless the foreigner, this Gentile, was going to become a Jew. So, hundreds of years later, still, the Jews, the pure Jews, despise the half-Jews because they were disobedient and they have, they have intermarried. Therefore, she says... What are you, a Jew, speaking to me, a, a, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus responds, well, if you knew who I was and what I have to give you, you would ask of me for water, and I would give you living water. To which she responds, dude, you don't even have a bucket, and the water's deep in the well. How are you going to give me this water? 
And he responds, well, if you drink of that water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water I give you, it will create in you a well of water that will spring forth into everlasting life. To which she says, give me this water. I mean, it, Jesus is so good at everything he does, right? I mean, he can preach, and he can teach, and he can heal, and he can cast out demons, and he can evangelize. I mean, it's like he, it's like he takes his fishing line and throws it in the water, and at the right time, he hooks the fish and just reels it in, right? And so right then, he hooks her, and she's like, give me that water. Now, at this time, Jesus moves over into prophetic ministry, and he says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with is not your husband. To which she responds, sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. <laughs> and switches the conversation over to worship. And basically, she complains and says, you Jews say we have to go into Jerusalem to worship. That's the only place to worship. We worship up on this mountain. And Jesus launches into a brief but powerful teaching on worship. So John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. The first thing Jesus teaches is where you worship is no longer relevant. There is not a place anymore that you have to go to to worship. It's not in Jerusalem anymore. It doesn't have to be on that mountain it's not in this church building. You may worship anywhere at any time. But that's not the bulk of what he taught. Verse 23 and 24. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus sets a, a new precedent. And He says the Father is actually seeking this. He's looking for what Jesus calls true worshipers, and therefore true worship. And he defines it as in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. And so, gosh, I mean, when you think about truth, that's a broad term, right? I mean, there's a lot of truths in truth. So, I mean, to me, truth is like the A to Z, everything, and which truths are there, Lord? 
Which truths do we worship in? You know, when, when, a, when a person gives themselves over to Jesus, when a person from the heart surrenders him, herself, to Jesus, believes in Jesus, embraces Jesus for who He says He is, and chooses to follow Him, even though they don't understand the theologies and all that, but something happens in the heart, and they cross over. The Father gives two gifts. One is the gift of righteousness. Righteousness. That the Father becomes our righteousness. He makes you accepted. He makes you in right standing with Him. He makes you His child. We, we look at the dirt on us. We look at our, our sin. We you know, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, or what we don't, we fail to, not, to do, we don't do, and we should. And we look at that, and, and, and we think, I'm unclean, and I'm, I'm not right. Uh, I, I don't feel able to really let go and worship Him. But He is the gap filler. He Himself, the Father Himself, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit... He becomes the gap filler for you. And He declares, you are accepted. I have made you in right standing with me. You are my child. You are now in the palm of my hand. And you can approach me at any time, at any place, and talk to me. You can present your request to me. You can come boldly, not arrogantly, but boldly before me and present any need to me. I love you. I have saved you. You are mine, and I am your righteousness. And I think Jesus is saying this is the truth that the Father is looking for those to worship in, to identify with who He says you are. And the difference maker is, do I look at myself or do I look at Him? That's a huge issue right there. He says, I am your God. You are my people. And I make you clean. You are righteous because I am righteous. And that truth is, I think, what the Father is extending His hand this morning, seeking, looking, will you identify with that and step into that? And then there's this in spirit. The second gift that the Father gives us when we believe 
is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your spirit. Not your soul. He's not in your mind. He's not in your feelings and your emotions. And He's not in the physical tissue. Your spirit and soul is in the tissue. So therefore your body is the temple. But He's dwelling in your spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17 He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. One. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. And that, that word joined, you know what it means? Glued. Stuck. It's a sticking, meaning stuck. Glue sticks, and he who is joined to the Lord is stuck and is sticking with him. And you know what the one word one means? It means one. One spirit. Do you realize that in the New Testament where it talks, I think it's Ephesians, it talks about husbands, love your wives and wives, you know, submit to your husbands. And, and it connects that with Christ and the church. And we're the bride, right? You know that? We're the bride. And, it, it, you know, God created mankind and gender, male, female. And, and what? The, husband, the, the man leaves his family and cleaves to the wife and the, what? To become one flesh. And in Christ, the Holy Spirit enters your spirit, your spirit, and the two become one spirit. And so marriage becomes this image, this resemblance of something eternal. And that is, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is in you forever. He will never leave. And so I think what's, what Jesus is saying for worship is worship. The Father's looking for worshipers who worship, who worship deeper than their thoughts and how they're feeling, to go deeper than that to the most innermost core of your being and worship out of that. Let me tell you a story. Now, you may know this already. I'm learning this, I'll be honest with you. And I, I try to do it regularly. I forget but sometime in, in latter half of June, I guess it's been two months, so it was a Sunday service, and the time came for worship, and we all stood up, and I stood up, and the song begins. But for some reason, I just had my mind just filled with thoughts that Sunday morning. I mean, they were, I was just thinking all kinds of things. It wasn't bad thoughts. I was just... But my mind was just really active, and I was having a hard time selling, settling that down. And, you know, my hands are just at my side, and really, I'm not worshiping. In fact, I'm looking around, looking at other people at times, seeing what they're doing. And I'm just standing there, and I don't know, maybe we finished the song. I don't even know. I really wasn't even paying attention to the words. I mean, I'm just standing there. And all of a sudden, 
I, I said to myself, stop it. Mark, this is time to worship. That's what this time is for, to worship him. So just stop it. So I just, I just intentionally parked my thoughts, put them in neutral, and I, anytime I thought come in, I just, nope, shut it down. And I shut my eyes. And as I stood there, I started noticing the words of the song. I started hearing them like what they actually were saying. And as I stood there again, and I found myself feeling like down here, this desire to worship that I didn't have. It wasn't coming up in my mind or my emotions. It was somewhere deeper down in me, almost undescribable. And so I just began to lift my hands like this and, and enter in, and I started singing the words, and, and then I started singing the words louder, and I started lifting my hands. And before I knew I got caught up in the worship, and when it was over with, it was like, that was good. And I felt refreshed. Refreshed. And I learned something. That worship from deep down from the deepest part of you. When you identify with who he has made you to be. And you surrender to the worship. And let go and let that which is deep in you come out. Man, you get lost in the worship. You're, I wasn't aware of anyone around me. People could have been leaving and talking. I didn't hear anything but the worship, and I'm singing, I'm caught up. And the Father refreshes. You know, it's like the scripture. You reap what you sow. And if you sow into him, you can't outgive him. So what does he do? He gives back. And we're talking about running on empty. And I said, wow, I got to talk on this. <laughs> Guys, this morning, can you hear the invitation of the Father to you? To you, personally. Can you See his hand reaching out to you to invite you into something he's created that is maybe, maybe you know that. Maybe you do that. Maybe you do it now and then. Maybe you don't do that. It doesn't matter because his, his love for us and his invitation to us is reaching out to us to say, this is what I'm looking for. Will you enter in? And if you do, I will refresh you. Times of refreshing will come over you. And you will be full. So you know what I want to do? I want to close in prayer this morning. Gosh, he's just so good. And he helps us in our weaknesses. And so, 
as we pray, um, if you would be willing to join with me and just agree for yourself, I ask you to do that. As I pray, you, you may even find yourself desiring to pray and join in with that and let your prayer go up to him under your breath and out of your heart. But let's just pray. Father, our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we thank you. We thank you for teaching us and revealing to us your heart and your rhythm and your invitation to enter into this rhythm but from a perspective maybe that some of us haven't been consistent in but you show your love to us in our weakness and say hear my invitation we say, yes, Father. Yes. We hear you and we choose that because this is what you want. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit within us help us because we forget. Yet Jesus said that he will bring back to our remembrance the things that you and he teach us so father we ask that you remind us of this next Sunday the next Sunday five Sundays from now five months from now five years from now to worship you in spirit and truth so, Father, as we close, thank you. We love you. And we worship you.